Reassessing Priority Coverage Area. Analysis Complete. Public Access Terrestrial Radio. Archive. Yankee 2027. Audio Only. Beginning Playback. Behind the Veil, we are back on this prestigious day with our interviewee, Aldous Clayton, which I'm sure all of you know is the current CEO of biotech company Vita Technologies. Just mind the, uh, mind the airplanes flying over, probably... Hitting us all with x-rays, thanks to your son. Aldous, you began the largest arms race in the history of genetic engineering back in the late 80s when you introduced your company's line of nanopaste. This paste was given to NASA astronauts to vastly reduce the risk of gamma and other forms of radiation damage. I understand that it was also used by the U.S. Navy to protect their nuclear power plant specialists and for the same purposes in the private sector. What made you turn away from genetic research and move into AI? Computer science has been at a crawl since the early 2000s. Sure, the phones get a little smaller every year, and battery life has certainly improved from the early mobile phone days, but the computational power hasn't leapt. Science seems to have lost its drive. It has become satisfied, and that is a dangerous thing to be in this profession. I saw a promising field of science that was being overlooked because the tech giants of the time didn't seem interested in real innovation anymore. Gimmicks are what are selling, and the public's demand for gimmicks never wanes. So the corporations make a bundle, and they were satisfied. I, however, am not interested in what the public wants. Most people, by the way, don't ever really know what they want, at least not until you plop it right in front of them. I'm interested in progress, that next big leap. Now, there were some companies in China, Japan, Germany, and Norway that saw the potential for organic processing, but few Western companies. Human beings are capable of astounding things when we work together, but there's a wisdom often overlooked, the wisdom found in nature. We are not as of yet capable of creating computational machines as sophisticated and powerful as nature is especially the human mind, God's blueprint, if you believe in that kind of thing. My vision was to utilize that blueprint, a design with millions of years of software patches and hardware iterations, and create a computer system more powerful than any other made before it combined. The DoD contracts, I imagine, don't hurt either. They certainly don't. If I may, I'd like to switch topics and address a more personal arena. Your views on defense contractors and war profiteering, specifically of the American variety, have created for you a bit of a cult following online. Some are comparing you to Henry Ford, while others create memes like Dr. Migdala. What are your thoughts on that? I do not appreciate the Nazi implications, veiled as they might be in cerebral humor. The fact that such a great divide in thinking occurs online and off these days is led me to question the true usefulness of the internet as a communications tool. Henry Ford or Nazi scientist? It's dialectical thinking. 
Henry Ford was arguably a hero in his own right during World War II. Hundreds of factories were repurposed in order to build war machines for the Allied effort. I would not have liked to have been in his shoes at that time. But before that, I believe his business model sparked a return to American ingenuity and integrity. He believed the best way to enrich his company, himself, was to enrich those that worked for him. He made sure that his employees, whom worked at assembly lines, could afford to buy the machines that they were responsible for constructing. I think that is where the real Ford legend was created. Not in the cars he built, but in his business ethic. It's been my mission these last 40 years since founding Vita Technologies to emulate that business ethic. That certainly shows in the reports regarding VT's annual employee earnings. It also appears there's a split opinion of your political views. This poll from Gallup in front of me says 33% are saying that you're a communist, 40% capitalist. And there's another poll from that lunatic in Texas who screams about gay frogs and accuses me of being a lizard person on a regular basis. Mr. Clayton, you've been on several major and minor news networks over the years. I'm inclined to understand the public's confusion about your stance politically. Could you set the record straight for us today? I believe that the free market works best when it is actually free. The venom that I directed at government contractors in the past has been because they embody exactly the problem with the majority of American businesses now. No-bid contracts have led to an abysmal level of ethics. Companies line up at the federal government door like entitled panhandlers. Competition is nearly non-existent because of the lackluster performance across the board from all American defense contractors. It's a race toward mediocrity. Quality assurance has been replaced with cost-effectiveness, which sounds good on paper, especially to stockholders, but in the long run that translates into corner-cutting, and then you wind up with billion-dollar lemons like the USS Bush and the F-35. Deadlines are constantly moved up. Expectations rarely match the finished products. There's no penalty for failure in this industry anymore. The government continues to pay more and more money every year. The defense budget is now approximately $800 billion. That's up $19 billion from 2026. We spend more money than all of our allies combined, and the result of that absurd spending is at best marginally better armaments, and at worst criminally inferior ones. People emulate leadership. Our leadership, if you will, the government, incentivizes mediocrity. The private sector has been polluted with this ideology, too. Google and Yahoo have had their users' account information stolen so many times that it's practically cliché to even bring it up. But has their security really improved since those fiascos? IntelliWave's satellite phone network was down for maintenance on and off for the first two years after its launch. Consumers, and this is... this is... The worst part, arguably. Consumers have come to anticipate failure and pay for it. Idiots paying for idiotic corporations to float their pipe dreams. And big tech's business ethics are a concern in and of themselves. Google and IntelliWave routinely absorb their competition or lobby the federal government to squash it on their behalf. So you're a capitalist after all, but you sound as if your outlook for the country is a bleak one. Do you think capitalism is failing in America? I'm saying that capitalism is no longer the form of the economy in this country, nor has it been for many years. Take a look at the tech industry over the last decade. Their employees have a wide range in salaries, and some of those salaries are quite impressive, but the number of people making those amounts is very low. There's a duality in the American business sector. In different times, employees would reap the benefits of their work product. When that product was good, the benefits would be first to the customers in the form of better goods and services, 
and then to the employees in the form of better wages. When the product was bad, the reverse would occur. The process that happens now, however, is that corporations translate their earnings into industry growth and their losses into federal government bailouts. I don't believe that there has ever been a time in the history of modern business that we have seen this kind of consolidation. The term I keep hearing is megacorporation. This occurrence terrifies me. I think we're seeing the rise of new oligarchical regimes. What happens when a corporation wields the power of an empire? What happens if Panasheba buys out Intellivave? Would even the big tech companies become satisfied? Today, the decision makers at the top only seem to desire to leverage their wealth for political power. Much like the situation I described with the defense contractors, they are focused on the status quo and on perpetual growth. Employees mean nothing when companies have entire markets cornered in this fashion. People are as replaceable as cogs in an amorphous machine. These companies know damn well that there will be millions lining up in their bread lines, disguised as hiring initiatives. Every new young face hoping that they will be the one to win the lottery. Those few decent paying spots near the top. All for the privilege of making or selling rigidly controlled junk. How long do you think it will be until we see or hear stories about Raytheon or Lockheed Martin employees living out of their cars because they cannot afford the rent and other expenses? One more question, Aldous, and I do apologize for the blind side, if it is one. My listeners are very interested to know if and when you will be running for president. When that office actually means something again, not a moment sooner. When dynastic senators, congressmen, governors, and other politicians are finally uprooted by strict term limits. When those same public servants are accountable to the same laws as every U.S. citizen. When the North rises again. Initiating Custodius Protocol. GPI Global Datanet. Transmission Capture. Audio Only. Compiling. RL lag time negative 47.91.280.0031. Adjusting for time dilation. Beginning playback. Fellow board members, I'm your acting CEO, Gail Padlecki. During this virtual meeting, we are going to review the events in Gradiot County and Gradiot Presbyterian Hospital. We will not be entering a Q&A period for this session. There is quite a lot of material to get through today. First piece of evidence I would like for you to observe is raw data recorded by GPI Dropship Quarantine Management Unit 1771, followed by body cam footage of Captain Jason Darrow, QMU's 1771 strike team leader, who is now with us in the chat. Captain Darrow, can you please walk us through the mission details? Yes, sir. Gradiac County was on strict lockdown measures. According to the World Health Organization, out of a population of around 2,000 people, 13% were reported to be infected with the plague. Normally, this is the kind of thing that Vitatech would handle themselves, or the UN with WHO dropships. In this case, however, the area has been deemed a conflict zone. Gradiat, like most other towns in Michigan, had been receiving regular shipments of therapeutics to treat the illness, but some of the townspeople began claiming that the drugs were making them even more sick, that one of the shipments was tainted or intentionally sabotaged. Right-wing fanatics used the confusion as a rallying cry. The reports that we got prior to Mission Brief and Dustoff stated that remnant forces were spotted in the area surrounding Gradiat Presbyterian Hospital. HQ tasked us with a quick recon sweep, and then we were to secure as many of the infected as we could. 
after which we were to deliver them safely to the nearest VT care facility for treatment and quarantine. Our job was to eliminate all resistance and then provide rescue efforts to the sick and wounded civilians. If I may, I'd like to start with post-drop. Looks deserted, Ruiz said, looking at the external display monitor that hung from the troop bay. Yeah, it better. Tony's got a shelter-in-place order. No, I mean, where are the police? Where the army guard? No remnant waving a piece out the window? Shit is odd. Gradiot is what territory again? Ruiz asked. Jackson Charter. Most of them are tech specialists. If they were going to start waving their pieces around, they'd jam our comms and mess with our nav systems first. The external ship's camera picked up a heap of wrecks in the parking lot of a theater. Shit. What is that? Scrap metal? It's an army guard convoy. I think that one on the north side is... was a striker assault tank. Lee, can you pop a drone? I need to take a closer look. The pilot activated drone one and handed the con off to my suit rig. I guided it over the cinema, off a roundabout. As the drone moved in closer, I could make out the signs of a struggle. There weren't any bullet casings or other signs of battle, except for the wrecked army vehicles. I don't see any bodies anywhere. Ruiz tapped the secondary monitor to feed in the drone footage. Yeah, that kind of heat. To melt a tank like that, even an old one, won't be nobody's left. If that is the case, these guys were slaughtered, and they had no time to react. Well, they reacted. Just not quick enough. Look at the tracks. That Hummer with its ass sticking out of the EB, another one flipped over on the curb just below the main street entrance. They were trying to get away. Ruiz and myself went down the ranks and checked everyone's power armor, then spotted each other's. Lee, get us over the trailer yard. We'll fast reel there. Circle wide as soon as we're on the ground. If they can melt a tank, they can melt this bird too. Ruiz, can you check on Bauer? Fuck. Just do it. Ruiz walked to the end of the ship and began to strap into the fast reel system. Directly across from him, a man in an armored tan trench coat sat against the wall. There was a large steel-barred cage containing a cybernetically modified dog. How is she holding up, Eric? Ruiz called to him. Eric turned his head to Ruiz and gave him the thumbs up. The man's eyes were completely white. Look, I, I know you're attached to this one, but if she skitzes again, you gotta put her offline, Ruiz said. Eric pulled his wetware link from his wrist jack and plugged it into the long-barreled pump-action shotgun next to him. One minute to fast reel, Dara called out. Eric braced himself on the gun and stood up, then slung the weapon over his shoulder. The dog cage opened and the sleek black animal inside went to him. He grabbed the strap on top of its armored vest. We got a secondary here, just in case, Ruiz said, patting a large drum-like container that was strapped to the wall. If any of you dumbasses shoot Marlowe, I will personally put you offline. Dara strapped into his drop pad at the front of the line. Thirty seconds, ladies. Everyone ready? Ready, they responded. Remember, this is a WHO-sanctioned rescue mission. Every civilian we find gets plague tested before evac, no exceptions. Bachman has the test kits. Civs are the priority. But if any of those Bible freaks show up, put them in the ground. The drop signal light in the bay turned green. Reassessing priority coverage area. Analysis complete. Local data net. Gradiot Presbyterian Hospital. Camera feed 17. Diagnostics lab. Beginning playback. An old man in a Vitatech lab uniform is analyzing test sample readouts from his work terminal. A small pen-shaped digital voice recorder fastened to his front pocket. He powers the device up and hits record. Dr. Edward Bryce, I just finished 200 samples of the HC10 therapeutics testing. 
So far, I've not encountered any signs of malicious tampering, as so many of the residents here suspect. I have, however, come across 14 counterfeits. Pills are identical to the real HC10 in appearance, labeling, and packaging, but when I ran them through chemical analysis, it shows a 2% deviation from formula. No one is going to like this answer. The UN will look incompetent and cheap. The militias won't get to martyr themselves in a public spectacle. And I have no choice but to destroy the entire shipment. We get to look like the bad guys again. The power in the room began to flicker on and off. His work terminal went into a hard reboot. Damn it, not the report. Now I gotta type all that crap again. While he waited for the login screen to finish, he peered out into the second story window. Bryce saw Vitatech's private security team bristling with the locals. A mob had formed in the parking lot entrance. Many were holding signs saying things like, Keep your poison, or give us the real cure. One said, Revelation 1823. A young mulatto woman burst through the crowd at a sprint. She was wearing a long white summer dress with floral patterns. One of the private security teams cut her off just before she reached the sliding doors to the ER. Shayla? Bryce said to no one in particular. Bryce fumbled through his pockets to get at his cell phone. The guards had already detained her, and for a moment it looked like they were about to escort her off the property. Then one of them reached for his radio to make a call. Someone in the crowd threw a bottle, which landed a few feet from the woman and the security guards. Stun batons flared to action at the blockade. More objects started raining down. The woman was quickly escorted into the hospital. Shayla Crenshaw walked into Bryce's lab. Less than 15 minutes had passed since the mob was riled outside the hospital grounds. Shay, good lord, it's a mess out there. I was white-knuckled at the window seeing all that. You all right? She braced herself on the table across from him. Her body was trembling. I think. Bryce considered this for a moment, weighing best how to treat her. Damn, this AC is cranked again. Feels like it's 90 degrees in here. One of the nurses must have fiddled with the thermostat again. Bryce opened the Labwing AC control app on his phone and turned it down a few degrees. The phone powered off without warning or prompt. <sighs> Telewave garbage. I apologize, Miss Crenshaw. We have been hammered today with testing. I'm glad they let you in. These new guards VT sent still don't know any of the staff. They check my ID every damn time I go out for a smoke. Is Liza coming in today? Bryce asked. Shayla leveled her gaze at him, her eyes wide. No? Wasn't she on the morning shift? Yeah, she never showed. Thought maybe she got held up at one of her meetings. I know he likes to prattle on. Hey, if you want to scrub in, we could use you in surgery. Shayla? Teardrops hit the table she was leaning on. Shayla lowered herself to the ground, weeping. Bryce walked over to her quickly and knelt beside her. Not her, too. No. She was gasping. What's wrong, Shay? What happened? I think... I think something's wrong with me, Dr. Bryce. Bryce couldn't help his reflexive step backwards. Is it... is it plague? Do you have a fever? Dry cough? She shook her head. No. He tested me downstairs. It was negative. This is something else. Bryce handed her a paper towel from the hand wash station. She wiped her face nearly raw. What is it, then? I heard a rumor. Not sure if it's true or not, that there's a test for Islander blood. Bryce looked at her quizzically. You mean a... Abilities testing? She nodded. Is it true? I know you worked at R&D before the company sent you here. 
You think you have an ability? Now? Shay, if that was the case, you would have shown signs years ago. Can you test for it or not, Dr. Bryce? Down in the front parking lot, the VT security guards managed to push back the crowd of angry protesters. Several bodies lay unconscious and otherwise on the outside of the cement blockades. A few of the VT guards were sporting black eyes, cuts, and bruises. The stun batons were out, and the guns had been drawn in their place. Four tan SUVs with cross insignias on the side doors sped up to the blockade. The crowd parted ways immediately to let them by. Sixteen remnant militia exited the vehicles in precise synchronicity. Rifles in each person's hands. They entered tactical positions around the vehicles and barricades. One of the men had a megaphone in his offhand. He was African-American, shorter than the rest of the squad, and had a long beard. The leather jacket he wore showed the remnant flag on his back, and the front was covered in deployment patches, and the name tag read H.J. He fired a single shot in the air with the rifle in his other hand. Everyone needs to calm the hell down, Jackson cried over the device. You all need to go home right now. The mob slowly started to disperse. When the last of them had cleared out, Jackson and two of his men walked up to the entry choke point, arms at the low ready position. We didn't ask for your help, said one of the VT guards nearest him. Yeah, you know what? That's the first thing that came to my mind when I saw this little shit show. Now here's a group of folks that have things under control. Don't worry, Renafash. I ain't about to do your job. I'm here because you have one of my people in your little death camp back there, and I want to brought out, unharmed. Another tanned vehicle came around the south entrance, a truck with an M249 welded to the cargo bed. The militiaman in the truck bed racked the weapon and turned off the safety. The hospital's neutral ground. You're breaking the ceasefire agreement just being here. Geneva Convention, too, said the guard. Damn, left hand really doesn't know what the right hand's doing these days. You didn't hear the command post over at the strip mall? That ring a bell? The Army Guard unit? Ain't been returning our calls. What did you do? More security guards began exiting the hospital, taking defensive positions. Several more appeared on the roof with automatic rifles. You guys don't get it. I'm not here for you. I just need to speak with Shayla. It's in your own best interest, too. You need to get her out of there immediately, said Jackson. Dr. Bryce guided Shayla to the MRI table. She took a seat on it nervously. The lights in the room started to blink on and off again. The same with the monitors. That's the second time today, at least. What the hell's going on with the power grid? There's only two different methods I know of for abilities testing. First is a blood sample analysis. I can use that to look at your telomeres uh, and some other things, but that'll take a lot longer. Shayla looked at him worriedly. That's not a good idea. Second one. That's the MRI? Yes. I'll need a thorough scan. You know the procedure. Dr. Bryce pointed at the golden band on her right arm. No metal or jewelry, right? Forgot about that. Shayla looked lost in thought. She was caressing the smooth metal band. Suddenly a gunshot sounded from just outside the building. I don't know what it is that's going on with you right now, Shayla, but I have got to get back to pharmacy testing soon. There are people outside this facility screaming for answers, and if they don't get them soon, those people will be screaming for blood. 
I know, Dr. Bryce, but I promise you this is important. Dr. Bryce patted a bead of sweat from his forehead. There's one other way we could test. It's a bit more hands-on, but be a lot quicker. I don't know how long this has been going on with you, but if you could show me, demonstrate your power, might be able to help. I'm trying my hardest right now. Not to. One of the overhead lights blew out. The computer screens in the room turned a rainbow of colors, then burst into flames. Dr. Bryce nearly fell out of his chair. Staring at her, he backed up until he was just outside the room. You just storm caller. He choked. I'm sorry, Ed. Thought you could help me, but you can't. I shouldn't have come, but I didn't know what else to do. Now I do. But you still gotta run. All of you. In case. Dr. Edward Bryce did not need further prodding. He shuffled down the hall and disappeared through the stairwell doors before Shayla could even stand up. She walked the hallway, going past the stairwell towards the pharmacy face determined. The walls began to darken and bubble along the path she walked. Shayla just made it to the locked medical storage door when the fire alarm tripped. Outside at the blockade, the fire alarm blared to life as well. I need to get in there, Jackson yelled. Before the guard could respond, the front door slid open, and several nurses and doctors crammed through the door at a dead sprint. They didn't make it far. The smell of ozone was strong. An incredible shockwave from within the hospital blasted out every window and ripped the sliding doors to pieces. The fleeing doctors, the guards closest to the hospital, and those on the rooftops all burned to a charred crisp instantly, then collapsed into heaps of ash. One of the guards a little further out started to smoke. His skin was boiling. The man screamed in agony and started shooting blindly at the remnant before he was promptly gunned down by the militia's M249. The other officers, unaffected, also opened fire. Jackson's team took them down in rapid succession. Cease fire! Jackson called off his men. He vaulted over the barricade and cautiously walked towards the now-ruined hospital. Jacob, throw me the mock and paint. One of the militia reached into his backpack and produced a can of neon yellow spray paint and tossed it to him. He walked halfway over to the burnt corpse of the security guard between the hospital and the cement barriers. I think we got an effective range limit, he said grimly. He popped the cap off, shook it, then sprayed an X near the man's feet. Jacob, get the range finder and mark this. Write it down, the distance from here to the hospital. We might need that info again real soon. I'm going inside to get Shayla. Keep a tight perimeter. And don't follow me. Unless you got a death wish. Jackson entered the ER through the wrecked doors. Ashes blew across the tiled floor. Looks like friggin' Fallujah in here. It took him almost 20 minutes before his search led to the pharmacy upstairs. The lock on the narcotics storage unit had been melted clean off. Shayla was on the ground, curled up in the fetal position, one of her hands tightly gripping a syringe. There was also an empty bottle of morphine next to her. Shay! He reached down to shake her. Her body was red-hot to the touch. He pulled back his hands in pain. Fuck. 
Damn it. I couldn't. I couldn't. She cried. The syringe fell out of her hand. It was still full. I know. I know. It's okay. We're gonna get you out of here. I was going to. But then the power was screaming in my head. I heard everything. My mind. All these signals. Couldn't shut it out. Couldn't stop it. We can talk about all this later right now. We gotta get you out of here. VT will have called in the backup by now. Your sister's worried sick about you. Shayla sat up. Liza? She skipped out of work today. She was in the house. Hugo, I burned the house down. My house. Mom and Dad. No, no, no. Stop. I saw your sister today. She left to go check on something with General Moore's people. That got her attention. She grabbed one of the shelves to brace herself and climbed upright to standing. She left? Yeah, this morning. We gotta get moving. Dara's power armor hit the ground feet first. The grav coils on its back buzzed to life a millisecond before impact, blunting it to a light thud. The five other members of his team landed in unison around them. They were heaping mountains of trash all over the loading yard. Marlo was sniffing around in one of the piles. Ruiz started to shake his head. I don't want to hear whatever you're about to say, Eric said, walking briskly past him. Your psycho mutt brought me a prime grenade, Cabron. A grenade which I had just thrown. Thought he was playing fetch with me or something. Eric propped his shotgun, barrel up on one shoulder, and got inches from Ruiz's faceplate. You mean the grenade I told you not to throw? That one? The one you tossed into a room totally blind? Says the blind man. Dara shoved the two men away from each other. You two want to hash this shit out later? Lee just reported shots fired at the hospital. Eric, I need eyes up close there. Marlo has stealth tech, the ship doesn't. Can Poochie make it happen? The cyber wiring on the side of Eric's head lit up for a split second. Marlo disengaged from her garbage dive, whipped her head to the north, then took off up the yard at a 60 mile an hour sprint. She blinked out of view as her active cloaking systems turned on. Eric followed in her footsteps, albeit slower. Dara grabbed Ruiz as he started off. I told you no bang-bangs on that mission. He was following orders. Orders. Remember those? You're just lucky I didn't make you hold that fucking grenade all the way back to HQ. Dara slapped the back of Ruiz's armor, then gave the hand signal to form up. Accessing priority resource archives. Compiling. FBI declassified documents. Yankee 1998. Agent Collins, I would like to go over the events detailing your first day on Navy Island. Could you go over that first meeting you had with the Watchers and the one that's called Zachariah? Yeah, it was uh, kind of like my first day at basic or uh, Bible study camp. They had us form up at the coast on the U.S. waterfront. We were only allowed to bring one bag each. All electronics were confiscated and destroyed. They found your hidden bug. Oh, yeah. They were damn thorough. You said that they destroyed all your electronics? Was that immediate, or did they go through each device? They destroyed every device immediately upon confiscation, right in front of us. Now, if they did pull some data from them beforehand, I could not tell you what method they used to do so. Although, I'm not sure that it made a difference to them. I, I didn't realize this until much later. Their profiling system is very complex. 
layered defenses, psychological, electronic, and physical. I'm certain that we were being monitored before we even showed up to the boat. Profile? Like a uh, criminal profile? Something akin to that, yeah. Tell me about the island itself. Was there any active defenses in the water or on the island's coastline? None that I could tell. They kept the coastal area clear of buildings and personnel. If you were to take a boat down the lake, it would appear uninhabited. Noted. All right. What happened after landing on shore? The landing party took us to a clearing about a hundred or so yards into the woods. More watchers were there. So was Zachariah. The Bureau has a very short file on this Zachariah. Mostly recent land purchases and business dealings. You were also there to report on him, is that right? Tertiary objective, but yes. Zach is in his late 40s, early 50s. White, in excellent physical condition, especially for an American his age. Balding gray hair. I expected what the media portrayed, and it wasn't far off. Except for him being the next David Koresh, that didn't seem the case to me. Welcome, everyone. I trust the ride wasn't too rough. This island is my home, and I hope it'll be yours, too. Everyone is here because something brought them. Some it was a calling, a search for the truth, either in yourself or in the world. He pointed at a young couple and their little girl. Some of you are here to be healed. You are on death's door, and you heard about the miracles that have happened for others in this place. He stopped pacing and put his hand on the shoulder of a tall, elderly man in a casual suit. He smiled at the man warmly. You will have it, if you can meet the cost. I assume that would be the case. Name your price. I'm sure we can reach an agreement. There it is. But it is not me that you will be paying. It's the island. And the island demands a tribute from all who would enter and receive her gifts. That tribute's different for each of us, but money is not what she demands. We're fighting a war, centuries old, the oldest war. A war for individual freedom. Zack had begun circling the assembled recruits, sizing them up. We'll talk in private at a later time. Each of you. There are others among you that I suspect may possess the qualities needed to become a watcher. Those that guard the island. Keep the peace. He stopped before a group of younger men that were wearing military-style cargo pants. One of them had a tattered duffel bag that looked lived in. The watchers have been closely following them. You know I can read your thoughts, old man. Can we skip this day zero indoctrination bullshit? Private Miller. Too good for the army? Spent your last dime? Spent your last two months living on the street? Turning your fairly impressive mind-reading abilities into a magic show in exchange for drug money from strangers. And one day, you happen to read one of my watchers' thoughts and... You wander onto our little island, thinking it was your own idea. If you're about to feed me some AA 12-step crap, you can stow it. Just show me back to the other side of the lake or quit wasting my time. Zack motions to Oliver, who then steps into the clearing between Zack and Miller. Oliver? Miller requests an advanced lesson. Would you be kind enough to administer? Absolutely. I have the perfect lesson selected for dessert to scum like this. Or, as you suggest in private, you may head back to the shore and be escorted to the mainland. You won't be harassed. Miller tossed his duffel bag on the ground angrily. What the fuck did you just call me? 
Oliver's stance changed in an instant as Miller charged in, fist first. The two men exchanged furious strikes. Each in turn was blocked or deflected by the other. It was clear that both men had substantial martial arts training. At first they appeared to be at a stalemate. The fight went on for nearly three minutes. Suddenly Miller froze. It was only for a second. It was long enough. Oliver flattened him with a palm strike to the gut. The force of the blow sent him a foot into the air and caused him to scrape across leaves and dirt when he hit the ground. Oliver gave a slight bow, then fell back in with the watchers on the periphery. Zack walked over to Miller's crumpled form. Hell was that? Miller said, choking for air. I imagine that is what it must be like to get hit by a truck, Zack said, looking down at him. Oh. <clears throat> Blank. Mine. Read him first. <clears throat> I was like he was dead. <clears throat> Nothing. Thoughts do not exist in a vacuum. When you think, your brain exerts a force on the world. The word for that is willpower. The science behind it shows something different. The human brain emits low-level radiation. This is what people with your ability pick up on. Oliver, by contrast, is a harmonic. He can channel energy through his body at will. That includes his mind. He blocked you out. Then he overloaded you with white noise. Telepathy is a two-edged sword. When you read someone's mind, you are forming a bridge between yourself and the person you're reading. If he were a psychic too, like yourself, he could have forced images, sounds, or other things into your mind. I don't think this one would like my thoughts. Zack raised his hand high into the air and held it there. Immediately, the watchers went silent and stood at parade rest. There is another here, who, like so many before, and I am sure not the last, is here at the behest of the United States federal government. A watcher was behind me, blocking my way back out to the boat. I never saw him move there. He just appeared. His face was expressionless. He was chiseled stone. The man motioned for me to turn back. My heart felt like it would pound through my chest. Given the display of violence I had just witnessed, I expected any minute soon I would have been beaten into a human pancake. Zachariah approached me, slowly, palms raised. Strange as this may sound, Agent Collins, even you are welcome here, as long as you remain respectful. You're also free to leave now, if that is your wish. You got a real funny way of showing it, I said. Zack motioned to the watchers by the entrance to the clearing. Each in turn fell out and walked past the clearing into the island and out of sight. Anyone who does not feel comfortable, anyone who wishes to leave, may do so now. Or at any time after tonight, within reason. The boats only do runs after nightfall. Of course, you could also swim to shore at any time, he said with a wry grin. But if you do leave the island, you cannot return. I won't allow it. This island is private property, and I'm within my rights to refuse access to it. Even to federal agents, Agent Collins, unless you come back with a warrant. If you stay, however, if you become a watcher or an acolyte, you may come and go as you please. Why? Why would you allow me to stay? You know I have to report everything back to the FBI. Because I have nothing to hide. 
because there will be more of you if I turn you away now, and because I believe that even a government stooge has the potential to be a good person. Naive of me, I know. Also because you won't find what they sent you to find, but you're free to look wherever you like. You are my guest, and you won't be harmed, nor your investigation impeded. I would ask you a small favor, though, while you're here, searching for weapons of mass destruction. Try and learn something true about this place, about yourself. I placed a hand on my shoulder and gave it a pat. Then he turned back to the others and beckoned that we all follow him to the island center. Only Miller chanced to look back in my direction. Maybe he was thinking what I was in that moment. Retreat. But you didn't retreat. The written statements you gave said that you didn't leave the island for 11 months. No, I didn't. Well, perhaps I should have. My cover was blown. They made it quite clear they could have me killed at a moment's notice. But I stayed. You put your life in the hands of a superpowered cult. Maybe I did, for a time. I don't know. It's hard to explain. A lot of the things that Zachariah and the others said uh, made sense. And for the most part, he seemed fair. Like he was telling the truth, or at least what he believed to be the truth. I was skeptical then as to whether or not he meant what he said about letting me investigate unmolested. I never put my full trust in him or his minions, even towards the end of my stay. There was a point during my first month where I tested the accuracy of his promise. It was late at night, after class and recreation time had come to a close, and I knew that all but the boat crew would be asleep. So I made my way down to the shore. Lo and behold, there was indeed a boat. Oliver and another watcher were there. They were in the middle of changeover. Miller was there, too. He was pacing the shore a little further away, but it was... Clear he wanted to leave. He approached the boat crew behind me. Forcing numbers, I suppose. Cannot say this is a surprise. Both of you get on. The island would soon be better without your stink. Oliver jumped in the rigid inflatable boat, and me and Miller dutifully followed. I remember feeling shame just then, the moment my first foot touched the inside of the boat. We were off into the water before it really hit me. Miller hadn't even bothered to bring his bag. Kept fidgeting, and I was too. We were about at the halfway point when Miller finally spoke up. Look, Ollie, I know we didn't get off to a good start, but I just wanted to say thanks. Oliver stopped manning the engine. The boat went into a low neutral rev and drifted across the water. I thought he was going to rip Miller's head off right in front of me, but he just started laughing. And when he stopped, he said, You want to thank me? You want to thank me for what? For allowing you to waste our time? For wasting our resources to feed a deserter and a bum? Maybe you can help me somehow. Maybe you can tell me how a telepathic drifter winds up with such a massive chip on his shoulder. He turned to me. And you, G-Man, in such a hurry to get back to your boss, hmm? I can't wait for the next one of you that comes and goes and finds nothing. I found plenty, but without my recordings, my observations are pointless. So technology is the bar by which the truth must be measured? How much are you worth to these people you serve if your words hold so little meaning? You are the perfect match, the two of you. Birds of a feather. I should have you married right here, now. A mind reader. 
who has come to rely so heavily upon his gift, he cannot see the meaning in its presence. In a federal man, that cannot find the answers because he is asking the wrong questions. Ring the church bells when you get to shore. Oliveira started the engine up again, gunning it faster this time. You want to know? You want to know, Ollie? You want to know why I deserted? Miller yelled over the roaring engine. The boat jerked to a stop again. Now? Now you say something interesting? The real reason. Not the shit I told the others just to satisfy their curiosity. I am all ears, soldier. Tell me. Let me hear your reason. Why did you abandon your oath? This thing got an anchor, or... Talk while I still have the patience. I did six years in the army. You already knew that part. Started out as infantry on my first stint. Decided I wanted to get away from the frontline crap, you know, get an actual trade I could use on the outside. Be all you can be. Yeah. Signed up for six more years, changed my MOS to Intel. Brass at that point knew what I was capable of. They were real eager to test my abilities out in the field, and, and I was as well. They put me on the Joint Forces Spec Ops team in Kosovo. I was tasked with shaking down gun runners and arms dealers for their supply network. And I was damn good at it. No waterboarding or other funny business necessary. Just set my ass in the room with them. They spilled whether they liked it or not. Whether they knew it or not. My squad was a well-oiled machine. We were shutting down terrorist arms networks left and right. Until Masahi. I'll hear Masahi. Same one you probably heard about on the news. Well, you Luddites had TVs out here. I know the men you speak of, Oliver said. He looked like a blood vessel was about to burst in his right eye. We had this motherfucker dead to rights. Some shithole village that had damn near been pounded into rubble. Probably by the same munitions he was supplying. We get a stand-down order from the Pentagon. Boop. Just like that, he vanishes. I'm looking at drone footage of this guy one click away, one button push away from being human confetti. No reason given, no nothing, just stand down, soldier, that's an order. Wait, you were the one that lost Masahi? I finally spoke up. I didn't lose him. My team had their eyes poked out. All satellite coverage, yoink. Drone footage, yoink. Air surveillance, bye-bye, we're off the clock, boys. We were scapegoated. Everyone on the team knew it. Hell of a thing being a telepath. Sometimes you can't turn it off. Can't turn it down. Picked up on my commanding officer's thoughts. Yeah, you're not supposed to do that. I was in a debrief later that night when the shit really started to smell. Told us the mission was scrapped. That we had bad intel and Masahi was never there. He fucking lied right to our faces. He was still there. He was there when that line piece of shit gave me the order. I grabbed a rifle from the armory after that. Made my way to the edge of Masahi's camp. I'm not a terrible shot. I figured I could sink one or two in his gut at least. Maybe die in the process myself. Camp was deserted. He was in the wind. Found my own way back to the States after that. Read a few more mines. Intentionally. 
on my way out. Masahi's real name is George Werther. He was one of ours. CIA asset, there to mitigate arms in the region. Make sure only the right terrorist factions got their hands on surface-to-air missiles. I didn't abandon my oath, Oliver. The country did. Oliver seemed to go limp at this. He just sat there, staring at Miller, motionless. Miller poked me. You all right there, Collins? Yeah. No. No, I'm not. Was... Was that the truth? Are you bullshitting? Miller held out his hand. You want to see for yourself? What? Zachariah was right about one thing, at least. My ability is a two-way street. You want to see what I did? And he showed me. Images. Sounds. More than I would have liked to have seen. Even showed me how he tracked Werther down when he found out he was in the States. And got himself put into a mental institution in the process. For a year. You're right there, Kendall. You're not looking so hot. I, I'm fine. It's just a, it's a lot to take in. Did you know Masahi is the number one arms smuggler for Al-Qaeda? Fun fact. Sure that won't show up in this case for discovery. Maybe uh, we should call it a day. Pick this up tomorrow. Sure thing, Mr. Kendall. After you send this file to the DA's office, I'm out of your hair. signal lost you have been listening to the fourth tower a cyberpunk themed transmission from the possible future sometime after now if you'd like to support this podcast please share it around wherever you do social media at if you want to support the show become a supporter on anchor.fm forward slash fourth tower that's the number four t-h-t-o-w-e-r or head over to the website, fourthtower.wordpress.com, and hit the Donate tab at the bottom of the page. Thank you. Thank you.